All right. I'm guessing Mike picked that song because our message tonight is on heart to heart. So, in my heart, it rings a melody. All right, there's a connection there. Uh, but we're, uh, we're going to be jumping back into part two of our, of our, uh, of our sermon. Uh, we started this last week on uh, our series on normal church, heart to heart. Last week we talked about um, the love that we should have for one another, the genuine heart of love because of our common uh, family bond in the gospel and that we were saved to love one another. Um, and our goal tonight is to look, if we're going to love from our hearts, how do we reach the hearts of others? A normal church is filled with problems and struggles. We are an assembly of imperfect people who are tasked with an everyday mission of speaking the truth in love to one another. Even as our last Vision Sunday this past month, I set forth two goals for, for every member that during this year, you would seek to find one soul to reach and find one place to serve. And I just want to remind you of that, first of all, um, have you been looking for that? Have you been looking for maybe that one soul you can reach that you can be a blessing to, that you can speak the truth in love to? This is the divinely appointed means by which the church will grow and mature until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, as we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. And so far in our series, we've addressed the following. First of all, the need for us to acknowledge the everyday struggles that we face. We must be honest about the fact that there are problems in our lives if we want to help and if we want to be helped by others. Last week, we looked at the necessity of a heart of genuine and fervent love. If you don't have a love for each other, one that flows from your communion, of uh, your common salvation and family connection, there won't be anyone speaking the truth, let alone speaking the truth in love. And while it's important to speak from the heart, a genuine love for your spiritual family, it's equally important to speak to the heart, heart to heart. If we're going to help each other grow with the truth of God's word. But as I remember, actually, uh, one sermon I remember Pastor Caleb preaching, uh, he said, be careful where you aim your Bible. God's word is powerful and sufficient for change, but if you're not aiming at the right target, you won't be helping. And we'll see in later messages how, in ways in which we can use the Bible incorrectly. Tonight we're not going to be addressing how to help specifically. Instead, we, I want to focus on where do we aim? As we seek to speak the truth in love to each other, where do we aim our speech? Where do we aim our help? And the scripture tells us that we are called to aim at the heart. As we go into this message, let's begin by seeking to understand the heart. When we say the heart of mankind, what are we talking about? It's a well-used term. It's a term that we use even in our modern-day English. But what is scripture, how does Scripture use the term heart? Well, first of all, uh, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. Two passages I want to look at at the outset that give us a sense of what the heart is in our lives. I'll begin by prefacing it, saying uh, the, hopefully the obvious. Then we say the heart, we're not talking about that, that beating organ in your chest, all right? When we say reach the heart, that's not what we're talking about, okay? So I just wanna get that out of the way. Proverbs chapter four, verse 20. 
says, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I'm sure many of you memorize that verse as from the, the issues of life. Issues means springs. When you say issues, it's not referring to the many issues of your life, but issues as, as, in, as in the flowing springs of your life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. As we look at this passage, verse 21 tells us that the words of wisdom are called, are meant to reach the heart where they provide life and healing. Verse 23 answers the question, why, why is truth meant to impact us at the heart level? When, when, when Solomon is speaking to his son and saying that this need to be, these need to reach your heart, why is that? Well, verse 23 answers, because from our hearts flow all the issues, flow all the springs of life. Every part of you flows from your inner being. The heart is the core of your personality. That's why we are called to keep our hearts. If you continue reading in our passage, verses 24 through 27 specify some of those matters of life, those issues of life that flow from the heart. What are some of those matters? We see speech, put away crooked speech from you, devious talk, manner of life, good and evil actions. All of these flow from the heart. We're called to keep our hearts with all diligence. Turn with me to the New Testament, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We see here the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So Jesus uses the imagery of a fruit tree to make a point. The nature of the fruit reveals the character of a tree. If it's a good tree, there'll be good fruit. The fruit will match the nature of the tree. If it's a thorn bush, you won't find figs. If it's a bramble bush, you won't find grapes. In verse 45, we find out that fruit is an illustration of the actions that we do, our behavior. And Jesus makes a simple point. Whatever abounds in the heart is what will come out in your behavior. The fruit of your life flows from the treasure of your heart. So when we talk about the heart, how might we define it? Well, it's, it's, it's hard to define. Again, we're not talking about the beating organ in your chest. That's really an anthropological term to describe the human experience. So what, what do we, when we say hearts, what are we talking about? Well, the, the, the premier Greek lexicon defines this use of the word heart in this way. The center and the source of the whole inner life with its thinking, feeling, and volition. And so in that definition, we see three different aspects or components of our inner lives. We see our thinking, we see our feeling, and we see our volition. 
And the heart in Scripture is used to describe all three functions. So sometimes in, in our modern-day English, we'll think of heart purely in terms of, of emotion, right? I, I, I love that person with all my heart, right? I have a good feeling. It's, you know, from the very core of my being. But Scripture uses heart to talk to, in reference to both our thoughts, our emotions, and even our commitments, our volition. Let's look at these three aspects, and I'll include some uh, Scripture references for you to, to jot down if you'd like. The three functions of the heart we see in Scripture, first of all, thinking. This would be our inner thoughts, our beliefs, even our memories. Matthew 13, 15 says, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. And so in this passage, heart is, is in reference to the understanding, to the believing, to the thinking. You might know the passage in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, when Mary was, was uh, met, met by the angel, and we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She's thought about them in her heart. So when we talk about the heart of mankind, one component of it is our thinking, our thoughts, our beliefs. We also see scripture pointing to the feeling. This would be the desires, the values, the emotions in our life. Romans 1.24, in negative sense, says, therefore God has given them up in the lusts of their hearts. That in our hearts, that's where our lusts, our evil desires come from. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, a well-known passage, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's the values, there's the desires. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know of the abundant love that I have for you. So in that passage, Paul is referring to the anguish of his heart, the turmoil, the emotion. Our heart uh, speaks of our thinking, our feeling, and our volition. When we say volition, volition, uh, this is our decisions, our intentions, or our commitments. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 37, for, But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. And so again, the determination, the commitment, the choice, stemming from the heart. In short, your heart is what makes you, you. And while these three aspects are all at play in your heart, it's not like we can really dissect and separate these three. The actions and words that flow out of our hearts are a complex combination of thoughts, feelings, and volition, and often all three are at play. And what we say and what we do, we don't necessarily say, well, that came from the thinking part of my heart, right? Sometimes, yeah, like, that was definitely the feeling part of my heart and nothing else, right? Not much thought, not much conviction came out, you know, came, that, that was sourced from there. But oftentimes it's a mixed bag, right? And our initial reaction to something, we, we can't sit there and dissect all the different components of our heart. Author and biblical counselor Jeremy Pierre uses the term dynamic heart. And he actually separates the functions of the heart into these three with different uh, words. And he uses a, a, a picture, illustration that looks somewhat like this, that in our heart, we have the cognitive, that's the thinking heart, the affective, that's the feeling heart, 
and the volitional, that's the intentional heart. And even as I go through uh, this sermon tonight, much of the pictures and organization uh, I take from his book, The Dynamic Heart in Daily Life, which I would commend to you if you want to read more on this topic. When we talk about and we try to understand the heart, when we're trying to reach the heart of those in this church, what are we trying to reach? We're trying to reach the, the inner being, the, the, the core of who we are. And so let's talk a little bit, as we continue to understand the heart, what are the responses of the heart? Your daily normal life is simply your heart responding to life. Right? That's basically every day that you have. Your heart responding to life. And again, uh, Pierre in his book um, puts together four main categories of things that we often respond to in, in a given day in our, in our lives. We respond to our circumstances around us. We respond to others. We respond to God. And we respond to ourselves. And these responses are the behaviors we exhibit each and every day. The fruit of our lives is our behavior. So how we interact with our circumstances, how we interact with other people, God, and ourselves. But all that behavior flows from our hearts, the cognitive, affective, volitional, the, the dynamic heart that is working uh, within us. Now, why is it so important to keep these categories clear in our minds? Well, because if we are going to speak the truth in love, if we are going to live heart-to-heart -heart lives with each other, then again, the truth we share, the help we offer, must not only come from the heart, but it must be targeted at the heart. In other words, if we, we want to aim for lasting and real change. In any given situation that we experience in our life, there's a situation our behavior toward that situation, which flows from our heart's response. I want to give an example of this from a passage of Scripture, James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. You can turn there if you'd like, James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. As we see how our hearts respond to the lives, to, to the world around us, we see a perfect example, um, although negative, uh, in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This passage says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. All right, so let's look and see what is the situation in that passage. What is the situation in that passage? Well, we see it there. In verse 2, primarily, there's something you, you don't have, you can't obtain it, right? So there's, there's, there's whether that's a thing or, or, a, or a status or fill in the blank. The situation that, that we're facing in this passage is there's something you don't have and you cannot obtain, all right? What is the behavior in this passage? It's quarrels, fights, and even more extremely, Murder, right? See that in verse 2. You murder, you, you fight, and you quarrel. So we see the situation. Do not have, cannot obtain, and so you, you murder, you fight, and quarrel. But what is the heart desire or thoughts or volition that produces that behavior in our passage? It's our desires and our coveting. 
What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions, your desires that are at war within you. You desire, there's the heart, and do not have, there's a situation, and so here's your behavior in that situation, you murder. You covet, there's the heart, you cannot obtain, there's a situation, and so you fight and quarrel. This is how we interact with the world around us. In any given situation, whether it's another person that just rubs you the wrong way and you lash out with anger, all right, that is a behavior responding to a situation based off of certain thoughts, desires, or commitments coming from your heart. And so what we want to do tonight, very simply, is when we seek to help other people, where do we aim? And we see three options here. We could aim at the situation, we could aim at the behavior, or we could aim at the heart. And which one is the most effective? And so we're going to look at some approaches to change. Again, when we say change, we're talking about spiritual growth. We're talking about us becoming more like Jesus. There's a lot of different help that we can have, right? You can, when we talk about situations, we'll mention this in a moment, there's, there's, there are times when the most helpful thing you can do is, is take someone out of a situation. But when we're talking about speaking the truth in love to one another so that we grow up into maturity, into Christ-likeness, there's only one most effective answer. But let's look at these three approaches and see what, uh, what might the effect be if we take this approach. First of all, what if we approach it by changing the situation? Our hearts are strongly influenced by our environment. The circumstances, the people, everything has an influence on our hearts. But there's a difference between saying that we are influenced by our environment and saying that we are a product of our environment. Those are two different things. I will not for one second deny that this, the environment that we're in has a massive influence on us, right? When I sit down with two individuals that are preparing for marriage and premarital counseling, right? You see how what you've always seen done, what you've always experienced shapes and influences how you approach each other, right? So your environment, your situation has a massive influence on your heart. But that's not to say that we are a complete product of the environment, as if we are slaves to our environment. If, we're a, if we are a product of our environment, the most effective way to change would be to change your situation, right? To leave a bad spot for a better spot. Get rid of that person and get a new friend. To leave a religious environment for a different one. If we're aiming for lasting change, is changing a situation the most effective tool? Well, not if we believe that everything flows from our hearts. Now, don't hear me saying that situation is unimportant. If you are going to show love to others here in the church, you should never ignore or disregard the situation that they're in. And so when I say changing situation does not necessarily produce lasting change, I'm in no way saying ignore the situation as if it doesn't matter, because it does. It, it matters a great deal. Knowing and seeing their situation is what will give you the sympathy and the compassion to help them. Matthew 9, 36, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What produced compassion in Jesus' heart? 
the situation that they were in. They were harassed. They were helpless. They were sheep without a shepherd. So never ignore or downplay the situation someone is in out of a desire to reach their heart because you definitely will not reach their heart that way. But as we look at this from a biblical perspective, let's consider why a change in situation does not necessarily lead to a heart change. Consider the people of Israel in the wilderness. They were in a bad situation in the wilderness, right? They, I mean, they, 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 didn't have, they didn't have the promised land yet. They were walking through the desert. And they blamed their rebellion on so many things. Their circumstances, on Moses, on God. So the question is, would a change of scenery make the difference for the people of Israel? No. Because they were bringing their sinful hearts with them into the, from the wilderness into the promised land. And in fact, right before they are brought into the promised land, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 31, that the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after other foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Before they ever entered the promised land, God says, they are going to rebel against me. They're going to keep sinning. And so as we consider situation, in what ways is this ineffective for, for lasting heart change? Well, let's look at those four categories of our situation. We saw circumstances, others, self, and God. What if we seek to change situation by changing circumstances? So this approach would be change is found in a new location. Well, there are many scenarios in which a change of location is essential. That would be in matters of safety or matters of health, being removed from a bad situation in order to be safe or prioritize, or, or prioritize is often a good and necessary thing. But in matters of heart change, when we're talking about what produces a heart that is more like Jesus Christ, where we are seeking to fundamentally transform how we see, respond to the world around us, a change of location is never sufficient because we carry our sinful hearts wherever we go. Right? I used to live in Michigan, and it got really cold there. And there's something called seasonal depression. All right? Floridians don't know about this. So let me fill you in. The cold gray skies, the frozen ground, the frigid temperatures, they all affect your mood. And that effect is real. That's why people move to Florida. <laughs> but let's say that I'm in Michigan, and my mood during the winter is negatively impacting my family. All right? I get angry easily. I become detached and distant from them. Is the weather influencing me? Sure. Am I a product of that weather? No, I better not view it that way. Because as a Christian, I am called to love and serve my family no matter what the weather is. Some situations make it harder. But I cannot blame my situation for my lack of obedience. I need to believe that God's grace is greater than cold weather. If I blame my situation, then my only solution to my sin problem is to move to Florida. <laughs> All right? But what's the problem with that? I'm bringing my sinful heart to Florida. And while the weather might not influence my mood as much, perhaps I find myself generally more happy because it's sunnier more. Other things will affect my mood. I still have the same thinking, the same desires, the same commitments as I had before, whether I'm a Florida man or a Michigan man. 
And so I'm bringing my sinful heart, and it's just a matter of time before, what, it might not be cold weather, but something else will bring out those same sinful tendencies. And so if you're aiming for heart change, you cannot view a change of circumstances as a sufficient solution to the problem. What about others? This approach is saying other, change is found in new relationships. Oh, it's so easy to blame people around you for your sin. I wouldn't be so angry if they weren't so annoying. I wouldn't be so depressed if they weren't so oppressive. Again, just like with circumstances, do people around you have an influence on your heart? Absolutely they do. And again, when helping people, we must always consider the other people in their lives, the, rela the relational dynamics in play, because our responses do not happen in a vacuum, and they are almost never untouched by the responses and actions of those closest to us. And so the same thing with circumstances. If you're seeking to help someone, you do not ignore the other people that are around them. You do not ignore the relationships that they're in. It plays a significant role in their lives. What we're saying is that getting away from one person as a solution to your heart struggle will not be a sufficient lasting solution. You remember back in grade school when you changed who your best friend was like every week? Right? We still have that tendency moving into adulthood. If there is a problem in our lives, it's automatically with the other person, and we blame our responses on the actions of those around us. Right? Think of the celebrity who has been married and divorced six times. What's the common denominator in all of those marriages? They are. Because simply changing who is around you may feel like a quick fix, but it's not a sufficient solution for lasting change. Again, situations arise in which change of scenery, change of circumstances, change of, of what relationships you're in is important for safety, for health, and other reasons. But when we're talking about lasting heart change, changing who you are around will not necessarily produce a changed heart. The two other ones, God and self, these, I hope these aren't, uh, this one isn't as common, but oftentimes we see changes found in a new allegiance. I, I hope we are not seeking to help each other in this way, but it's definitely something that happens, that when we have struggles and problems, we fill, we're filled with bitterness and anger and we blame God. God is the problem, and I need to either redefine God, or I need to find a new religious environment, and, that's, and we, blame, we seek change in new allegiance. The fourth uh, circumstance that we observe, situation we, we observe, is self. And this approach would be change that is found in new identity. And this is becoming more of a reality in our day today, isn't it? That the solution to internal struggles is a change to our external identity. Even surgically modifying our bodies in order for them to match or to, to fix the internal struggles that we have. And I hope we look at that and say, that doesn't change your heart. You can do anything to the outside. It does nothing to change the inside. And so change in situation, is that going to help someone grow in their Christ-likeness? Is that going to transform their heart? That's not going to be a sufficient approach. Well, we looked at three. There was situation. What was the other component of, of the dynamic heart? It would be behavior. What about changing the behavior? Stop doing that. Stop it, if you know that famous Bob Newhart skit, right? Stop it. Just stop doing that. Stop thinking that way. Stop feeling that way. Now, does the Bible have plenty to say about changing your behavior? 
Indeed, it does. But the Bible never points to simple behavioral modification as the key to lasting change. Lasting change results in new behavior, but new behavior does not produce a changed heart. Oftentimes, as we seek to help other people, what do we tend to do? We tend to take scripture and say, this scripture says that your behavior is wrong, you need to change your behavior. And that's, that's your help. You're angry. The Bible says stop being angry. And the Bible says instead bless other people. Now that's true. The Bible does say that. And if someone is unaware that anger is a sin, that might be really helpful for them to hear. But is that going to actually produce lasting change? Change your behavior? No, and we can look at scripture to prove it. Changing your behavior does not change your heart. Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 to 26, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside also may be clean. And so Jesus shows us the sequence here. If you clean the inside, the outside will be clean. But don't think that simply cleaning up your behavior, doing the right things, saying the right things, looking the right way, will change your heart in the slightest. Parents, you can raise a well-adjusted, well-behaved child without impacting his heart in the slightest. Changing your behavior does not change your heart. Right behavior does not always reflect a right heart. You say, well, Aaron, you, I thought you said that the fruit of your life is a result of your heart. Good fruit, good heart, right? Well, that's true. A good heart will always produce good fruit, but good-looking fruit isn't always the result of the right heart. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, the Lord says, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are what? Far from me. And so we can have good behavior on the outside, but that good behavior does not necessarily mean that we have a good heart. We can draw near to God with our lips while our hearts are far from Him. One more observation we talk about behavior is wrong behavior does not create a sinful heart. Wrong behavior does not create a sinful heart. And this is why I bring this up. Sometimes we view sin as a problem around us, not in us. Avoid this bad behavior so you don't get a sinful heart. No, that's not how it works. Why does someone do bad behavior in the first place? Because they have a sinful heart. Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 through 20. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. In other words, compliance is not the same as change. Conformity is not the same as change. As you speak the truth in love, you are aiming, are you aiming toward behavior or are you aiming toward their heart? You're depressed? Well, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord. So stop being depressed. Is that going to help? No. You're angry. Well, the Bible says you should be slow to, tr slow to wrath. Is that going to help? Probably not. Are those truths in the Bible? Yes. Should we have a clear understanding of what is sin and what is not? Absolutely. 
Are there situations in, in which using those verses are absolutely appropriate? Absolutely. But if you are using the Bible as a tool to simply get people to change their behavior, then you're not following what the Bible says about change. It's not change isn't found in situation. It's not, change, it's not found in behavior. It's found in the heart. And finally, as we conclude, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We've already been here. We actually looked at the first part of this chapter. when We were called to speak the truth in love. In the second half of this passage, Paul shows us how genuine change takes place. And so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, read down through verse 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, did you see it in that passage where change takes place? We clearly see a change of behavior, right? But where does that change come from? First of all, notice, where does the sin come from when we're talking about the Gentiles, the lost? It comes from the hardness of their heart. And then we switch and we say, that's not how you learned Christ. Look at verse 23. We see the change of behavior, but verse 23 highlights, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then you put on the new self. Change happens at the heart level as your desires, your beliefs, and your choices are transformed according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We need to aim toward the heart. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If I'm getting angry at my spouse, change doesn't happen by me changing my situation or my behavior. Stop being angry. Change happens when I consider that the desires and beliefs of my heart are what is producing the angry response to my spouse. And that's where we get to stop and ask ourselves, am I believing something false? Am I desiring something too strongly? Am I elevating my desire for comfort or respect over and above my love for my wife? Do you see how change at that level is much more effective and long-lasting than stop being angry? Or let's just kind of back up and maybe, you know, stay apart for a little bit? When I look in my heart and I say, my angry outbursts, my angry response is because I want something because I believe something about my wife, about my circumstances, about God, about myself, and my angry response is the way in which I am trying to get what I want. And when I am transformed by the renewing of my mind, and I see, no, I need to love my wife, I need to, I need to live with her in an understanding way, I need to serve her as Christ serves the church, and yes, I'm tired, or I'm frustrated, or I want this, 
none of those things rise above my love for my wife. And so as I allow my heart to be transformed by the word of God, everything is placed in its proper balance. Don't just say, stop being angry. Right? The best that, that, that the world can do you know, to, to an angry person is, well, you know, if you just, if you beat a pillow, right, or you, you rip a bunch of magazines, you'll, you'll, all you can do is, say, well, let's direct your anger somewhere else. That's, when we don't have the power of the Spirit, that's all you can do with your sinful heart. Well, let's just redirect it at something other than those we love. Instead of saying, what if, what if Christ, through his word, transforms me at the heart level? And again, the purpose of this message wasn't to dive into all the details of how you reach the heart effectively. And we'll be able to get into more details about that uh, in later messages in this, in this series. But to simply make sure we're aiming at the right direction. When you sit down with a believer in Christ, a fellow church member, right, and let's say they're going through a struggle, you're going to see those three components. There's going to be a situation that they're in, whether that's a, a circumstance um, a difficult relationship, how they're viewing God, how they're viewing themselves. And then you're going to observe behavior attached to that. How are they responding to that? Perhaps discouragement, perhaps anger, perhaps frustration, perhaps confusion. But if we grow in our ability to ask the right questions and compassionately move towards someone and listen and hear what they're saying and what they're going through and how they're responding then we have the opportunity to help them see the connection between the behavior, their situation, and what their heart is thinking, desiring, and committing to. And that takes some practice. But that's exactly where our advice should be aimed toward. We should have a heart of love, a heart of love that's loving enough to actually move toward each other in our struggles, and we need to seek to reach the heart rather than simply seeking to change behavior or situation. God has given us an incredible opportunity as believers in this church to speak the truth in love toward each other. Let's, let's make sure that we are aiming that truth in the right direction. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for um, your word that gives us everything we need for life and godliness, that uh, in our struggles, in our sin, in our discouragement, uh, in our weakness, you give us truth to transform our minds. That even when our outer man is wasting away, our inner man can be renewed every single day because of the grace that you have given us. And Lord, even though we find ourselves in so many difficult situations, perhaps surrounded by so many difficult people, we thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient. That where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And that you give us the grace to respond to our situations, to respond to others, to respond to you, even respond to ourselves. Uh, with, with obedience, with grace, and with love. Give us, give us the love as a church to move toward each other.